If you're looking to celebrate the holiday season in a meaningful way, consider revisiting the story of the first Christmas. In the newest edition of his book called Why the Nativity, Dr. David Jeremiah looks in close detail at the people and events surrounding that special day. The book and brand new docudrama are yours when you support Turning Point this month with a gift of $60 or more. If you give $100 or more, you'll also receive the correlating CD album and study guide. Donate today at davidjeremiah.ca. Most people would define compassion as a feeling, and it is. But for Christians, compassion is also something more. It's an action. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah returns to the parable of the Good Samaritan to show how Jesus used it to illustrate the importance of not just feeling compassion, but acting on it. To introduce the conclusion of his message, A Life of Compassion, here's David. Well, there's no more um, visceral story about compassion than the one that Jesus told in Luke chapter 10. And obviously in the story, Jesus himself is the Good Samaritan. But all of the characters and all of the action in that story, they just sort of strips away all of the veneers we grow uh, to protect us from the hurt of other people. And we see Jesus and we see how Jesus wants us to function as compassionate people. It's a part of the life beyond amazing. We hope that you will be with us for the rest of this series. And during this series, you can order a special resource from Turning Point, which is Why the Nativity? 25 chapters answering questions you may have about the Christmas season, including behind-the-scenes pictures from the docudrama set. This is yours for a gift of any amount to Turning Point during the month of November. When you ask for this resource, we'll send it to you right away. And uh, yesterday we started talking about how we relate to one another and especially to those who are hurting. The Bible is so very clear all through the Scripture, but especially in the New Testament, especially in John's writings. We are called to be concerned and compassionate about those who are suffering and having needs that they come to us and ask. The Bible says if someone comes to you and asks for help and you have it within your period to do it and you don't do it, how is that a representation of God? So compassion, very powerful, very important, very necessary. Here's part two. The disconnect in this story continues today which is why we read in the book of 1 John, whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. In other words, get rid of the nonsense of talking about it as though you have already done it when you haven't even stopped to do it. Fourthly, let me tell you that compassion is not analytical. In verse 32, we read there's another traveler who came along the way. He was a Levite. And the Bible says that when he arrived at the place, he came and he looked and passed by on the other side. The Levite was the worship leader of that church. I mean, he was the minister of religious worship, an interpreter of the law. He should have known and been eager to help this distressed man he had the opportunity, he had the knowledge, and if you read the story carefully, he had even a little bit more curiosity than the priest because at least he came and looked. The priest just went on the other side and kept going. He looked, which means he either 
had more curiosity for which he should be commended, or he had more callousness for which he should be condemned. Because the priest didn't see how bad it was, obviously the Levite saw how bad it was, and he still went by. Some have thought that this priest who passed by on the other side said, I'll leave this man to the Levite who's coming right after me. He'll take care of him. And the Levite thought since the priest passed him by, it must not be a good case for him to take either. So he passed by. In other words, the priest didn't serve because of the Levite, and the Levite didn't serve because of the priest. They were both calculating and analyzing and trying to figure out who should do what with this guy. And all the while, this poor man who was beaten and bruised is lying there dying. Both the priest and the Levite illustrate this fact. Listen to me carefully. Religious work does not make the worker religious. A lot of people do religious work who aren't very religious people, who aren't good people, who do what these two religious people did, bypass the suffering of another human being as if he did not exist. So compassion is not academic, it's not abstract, it's not afraid, and it's not analytical. But let me tell you what it is. Compassion is action. What is the difference between sympathy and compassion? Sympathy is something that you feel. Compassion is something you do. The Bible says that a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where this man was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, here's how compassion is defined. He went to the man, he bandaged his wounds, poured oil and wine on his wound, set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, took care of him. The next day when he left, he took out two denarii, gave it to the innkeeper and said, take care of this man and whatever you need more, when I come again, I will repay you. Now, the Bible calls this person who did this the Good Samaritan We are kind of familiar with that, but perhaps too familiar because that's the core of the story. The point of the story, in fact, was that he was by no means familiar. He was not part of the Jewish family. He was treading on dangerous territory. He was a foreigner from a faraway house. He wore strange clothes, and he had an odd accent. He was not like the other, not like the man whose life he saved, not like the priest, the Levite, or even the lawyer. But he was like the Savior. The Samaritan brought himself near, made himself a neighbor. The trio of men in the story that we should have assumed would have compassion for this man were the priest, the Levite, and the lawyer. But Jesus said something so counterintuitive that we are tempted to dismiss it without any thought. Jesus said that out of those who could have been neighbors to this man, the only one who really was a neighbor was a Samaritan. This was the most intolerable thought that that particular lawyer could have ever heard from the mouth of Jesus. A Samaritan? The Samaritans hated the Jews, and the Jews hated the Samaritans. I've read stories in secular history of how that hatred would be played out. If a Samaritan was on a journey and had to cross a piece of Jewish land, he would walk 100 miles out of his way to keep from walking 20 feet across a piece of Jewish land. There are incredible stories of how they avoided each other, how they hated each other, and now Jesus chooses a Samaritan to be the hero of his Jewish story. The Good Samaritan, by what he did that day, made nationality forever synonymous with kindness and good works. Have you ever noticed all over the world, wherever you go, especially all over the United States, you drive through the cities of our land and you go past the Good Samaritan Hospital and the Good Samaritan Clinic 
and the Good Samaritan Doctors Complex, you begin to realize the reach of the New Testament story that we're studying today. God forever elevated the Good Samaritan to a whole new place. Looking at the Good Samaritan's approach to the fallen traveler, we learn a few things, and let me finish up with these. What did the Good Samaritan do? What he did, we should do. Here's the practical application. First of all, the Bible says that compassion is what we see. Verse 33 says, A certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. The Samaritan came and saw and had compassion. The priest and the Levite and the lawyer all looked at the traveler, but only the good Samaritan saw him. How many of you know you can look at something and not see it? We do it all the time. We do it at the edge of the freeway when we're getting ready to get off of the freeway and there's somebody standing there with a sign and they need our help. And if we're not careful, we look at them, but we don't see them we look past them or we look at them sort of in a glaze as, and we try to tell our mind, this is not really here. I'm not here. This is not for me. I don't have to do this. We look at them, but we don't see them. That day, Jesus, through the Samaritan, went a step further, didn't he? The Bible says he came and he saw. You cannot have compassion if you never see people in need. The Bible tells us that Jesus was a person of compassion. Three times in the book of Matthew, we read about this. In Matthew 9, we read that when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. In verse 14 of chapter 14, when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion. Matthew 15, 32, Jesus called his disciples to him and he said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have continued with me three days and now they don't have anything to eat. In no one has compassion ever been manifested more than in the person of Jesus Christ. No one has ever accused Jesus of being self-centered and all the things that are said about him. No one says Jesus was duplicitous. Nobody said he was calloused. Nobody ever accused him of that. That's one of the reasons why he is revered even by the leaders of other religions who don't believe what you and I believe. When Jesus saw broken humanity, his heart was moved with compassion. The good Samaritan in this story looked at this broken traveler through the eyes of Jesus, and he had compassion. So what is compassion? First of all, it's what you see. If you're never around anybody in need, you probably won't be very compassionate. I'm going to do a message on generosity, and in my study for that message, I discovered that one of the things that's interesting is that the people who make the most money in our culture very seldom do they give to humanitarian causes. They give more to schools and colleges and things of that nature. For instance, last year, the 50 largest gifts in America, only one of them was given to a social need. Why would people with all that money not give to people who are poor and needy? Guess what? Because they never see any of them. They have so isolated themselves in their life, so many of them, that they never come across the people that you and I see. They're driven to their work in a car, they live in a place where they don't ever see any poor people. And so if you don't see the people who are needy, you will have a hard time having compassion for them. Can I get a witness? Isn't that true? So compassion is what we see. Secondly, it's what we do. The Bible says that he went to him and bandaged his wounds and poured oil and wine on the wound and set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Wow. What is compassion? It's something you do. 
The Good Samaritan did more than observe this traveler. He went to where he was and began to minister to his needs. In doing so, he was risking something. Did you ever stop and think about that? What if the robber who did such a terrible thing to this traveler, what if he's still hanging out in one of the defiles of that road? He put himself in harm's way. He put himself in jeopardy. Put yourself in his place. Hey, man, I'd like to help you, but whoever did this to you is probably hanging around. I'll get to Jerusalem and call 911. <laughs> you got it? The Samaritan risked everything, and he illustrates for us that genuine love always involves risk. Isn't that true? Unlike the priest, the Samaritan touched the traveler with hands of kindness and compassion. No ceremonial reason would be great enough to restrain this loving person. He bandaged his wounds, bathed his sores, and helped him on his way. Compassion is what we see, and it's what we do. Thirdly, compassion is how we do it. Because it says here in verse 37 that he who showed mercy on him. In other words, the traveler showed mercy on this wounded man. How many of you know it's possible to go through the motions of compassion with the wrong attitude of heart? Well, take this. Here's the money. Go take care of yourself. The Bible says this man came and showed mercy. That's what he did. He showed mercy on this needed traveler. He cleansed his wounds. He used his own resources to help him. He stayed with him. The Bible says he poured wine on his wounds. And somebody said, what would you do that for? Because of the alcohol content in the wine. It was used often to cauterize wounds and cleanse them. Kind of reminds me of what my parents used to do. My parents believed in a substance called merthylate. I don't know if many of you moderns know what merthylate is, but some of us who have been around long enough, we know what merthylate is. And you don't want to know about it if you don't know about it. My mother used to think merthylate was the cure for all diseases, no matter what you had. And she would say, David, we'll just get some merthylate. I got instantly healed. Whenever she said that, I knew that wasn't something I wanted. It burned like fire. When they would pour wine into the wound, it would be sort of like merthylate. It would cauterize the wound, help it to heal. And so this man not only came and he saw, he saw and he did, and he did what he did with grace and mercy. You can see the love in this story and how he reached out to help this man. And then finally, compassion is how much it costs us. On the next day, verse 35, when the good Samaritan departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, take care of him and Whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. You cannot love someone and have compassion on someone and not have it cost you something. First of all, it's going to cost you your time, if nothing else. Somebody gave this to me. I don't know who wrote this, but somebody gave this to me. The Samaritan gave his eyes to the traveler when he looked on him with concern. He gave his heart to the traveler when he had compassion on him. He gave his beast to the traveler when he let him ride. He gave his feet to the traveler when he willingly walked so his neighbor could ride. He gave his hands to the traveler when he bound up his wounds. He gave his time to the traveler when he postponed his own schedule two days so that he could stay with the traveler until he was ready to travel. And he gave his money to the traveler when he paid for him to stay at the inn. Jesus is teaching us that when you love somebody and show compassion on them, get ready. It's going to cost you something. 
We give ourselves to people when we do that. We sacrifice our time, our money, our possessions, our priorities. Husbands and wives learn that lesson of love because that's what it is. How many of you know in a marriage, love costs something? Parents learn that lesson of love and realize that if you have children, it's going to cost you something. Not just the money you spend for their tuition. It's going to cost your time and your attention and your focus and all of those other things that are so important when we show compassion on others. So when Jesus was finished with his story, he turns to the lawyer and he says to him, which of these three really showed himself to be a neighbor? Isn't it interesting that the lawyer could not bring himself to say the word the Samaritan? So when Jesus asked him that question, he answered like this, the one who showed him mercy. All he had to say is the Samaritan, but he wouldn't say that word because you Jews don't like Samaritans. And Jesus' next words sound familiar to us. Do you remember when Jesus washed the feet of the disciples when he got all done? He said to the disciples, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And now he says the same thing in verse 37. He says to all who are listening to him and to all of us, go and do likewise. In other words, what? Go and show compassion to those who need your help. Go and be a caring person. Go and look But more than that, go and see and go and show compassion. Do you know the world has a right to expect the followers of Jesus to be like their master? For that reason, Peter admonishes us to have compassion for one another in 1 Peter 3, 8. It doesn't mean we're to act compassionately or look impressively or intensely compassionate by closing our eyes and disfiguring our face. Beginning in the heart, flowing through the hands, we are to be compassionate like Jesus. Now, we can't heal the sick. Most of us here aren't even doctors or nurses. We don't have anything to do with that. We can't feed the hungry the way Jesus did. We can pray for the sick, but we can't absolutely, like Jesus did, guarantee that if we touch them, they will be healed. But that's okay. He doesn't expect us to do that. He only expects you to be a genuine channel of his compassion to those who need him today. There's your story. It is a great story. A story that you probably will never forget if you listen carefully. You now know where it is. It's in Luke 10, the only place in the Bible where this story is told. And here's another short story to bring this all to a conclusion. His name is Bill. His wild hair wears a T-shirt with holes in it, jeans, and no shoes. This literally was his wardrobe for his entire four years of college. He's kind of esoteric, brilliant, and he became a Christian while attending college. And across the street from the campus where he was in school is a well-dressed, very conservative church. And this church is trying to develop a ministry to students, and they don't know what to do. They're not sure how to go about it. So one day, Bill decides to go there and check it out. He walks in with no shoes, jeans, his T-shirt, and wild hair. The service has already started, and so Bill starts down the aisle looking for a seat. But the church is packed, and he can't find a seat. And by now, people are looking a bit uncomfortable with this strange, disheveled man in their church, and no one says anything. Bill gets closer and closer to the pulpit, and then he realizes there aren't any seats, so he just sits down right in the center aisle on the carpet. Although perfectly acceptable behavior at a college fellowship, I promise you this had never happened in that church before. (laughs) And by now, the people are really uptight. I mean, the tension in the air is so thick. 
about this time, from way back in the church, a deacon is slowly making his way toward Bill. Uh, the deacon's in his 80s. He has silver gray hair. He has a pocket watch. <laughs> a godly man, very elegant, very dignified, and he walks with a cane. It takes a long time for the man to reach the boy. The church is utterly silent except for the clicking of the man's cane. All eyes are focused on him. You can't even hear anyone breathing. The people are thinking the minister can't preach the sermon until the deacon does what he has to do. And now they see this elderly man drop his cane on the floor, and with great difficulty he lowers himself, and he sits down on the carpet next to Bill and worships with him so he won't be alone. Everyone chokes up with emotion, and when the minister gets up, he says, What I am about to preach, you will never remember. But what you have just seen, you will never forget. I feel the way that minister felt about the story we have studied today. What I have said about the story, you'll forget it. But you can never forget that story. It will be etched into your heart from this moment on. You will always remember when you see somebody in need that there was a day when a kind man stopped to help somebody and set an example for us all. And beyond that, there is this. How many of you know that one day when you and I were seated in the center of the aisle and all of the filthy rags of our lack of righteousness, our sin and our rebellion, sitting there feeling all alone, Almighty God sent his son down to sit down next to us and put his arm around us and say, I love you and I want to help you, and I want to be your friend, and I don't want you ever to be alone again. That's what happened to me. That's what happened to all of us. When we were alone, Almighty God came through his son, Jesus Christ, and he sat down next to us, and by that said, I love you. I often think as a pastor that if I were really a good communicator, if I were better than I am, if I could get better than I am, so that I could tell you all how much God loves you in words that you would really understand that would penetrate the barriers that you've set up in your life, you would run down here at the end of the service to get that love. It's that wonderful. It's exactly what I've said to you today. It is God's love for you is so personal and so passionate that he has come down here to put his arm around you and tell you in person, I love you. Went to the cross and paid the penalty for all of your sin. So you would never have to pay that. Purchased for you a place in heaven, which he's reserved for you if you will just ask him to come into your life. He loves you that much. His compassion for you is greater than any story I could ever tell you. The compassion of Almighty God who came down here and the Bible says we were enemies of God, we were rebellious, we had our hands like this saying, I will not have this God to rule over me. And he just kept on loving us and he never stopped. And in our rebellion, he's come next to us. If you don't know Jesus Christ today, I want to tell you, you're missing the greatest thing that could ever happen, the healing, helping touch of the Lord God. Well, that brings to a conclusion this message on compassion. And you know, sometimes when you hear a message like this, you have two ways to move. You can be intimidated by it and think, well, I'm just not a compassionate person. But compassion is action, remember? 
So how do you develop compassion? You do compassionate things even when you don't feel like doing them. And when you do that, the feelings of compassion will begin to overwhelm you. When you see what happens when you help those who are in need. And I've had some wonderful illustrations of that in my own life here in Southern California with the street people and people that I met who are just desperate. And you help them and you see the gratitude in their eyes and you you tell them this is from God that God told you to do this and you want to help them. You, you just can't imagine what can take place in your own heart as you reach out and put your arms around those in need. Tomorrow we take this to another whole level as we talk about a life of generosity. Tomorrow and Thursday and then on Friday, we begin the message on the life of integrity. Friends, we're running out of time to tell you about our conference cruise to the Caribbean. Um, we probably won't be talking about this much in, in the days ahead because they're telling us that they're beginning to close this cruise down because of just there's a lot of people want to go on this, not just with our group, but the others on the ship. So if you haven't already registered to come with us, please go to our website, which is davidjeremiah.org. You can find all the information there that you will need where to go to get your reservation set up and you can come and be with us. It'll be a great time right after Christmas in the blue warm waters of the Caribbean. I hope you'll join us and please be here tomorrow. We'll see you then. The message you just heard originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and senior pastor, Dr. David Jeremiah. If God is ministering to you through Turning Point, will you let us know? Write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Fill your Christmas with meaning and joy with your copies of David's book and new docudrama DVD, Why the Nativity. Each is available for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions. Available in your choice of cover options. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, A Life Beyond Amazing, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you've been blessed by the ministry of Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point, we would love to offer you two free ways to stay connected. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash magazine for a subscription to our monthly Turning Points magazine. Each exclusive issue is filled with encouraging articles and daily devotionals to strengthen your spiritual walk. You can also sign up to receive our daily email devotional, and be a part of our community of friends who receive daily encouragement delivered straight to their inbox from Dr. Jeremiah. Written in a thought-provoking manner, this concise yet profound daily devotional delivers the refreshment and focus you need as you go about in today's world. You can join the more than 600,000 monthly subscribers who are building their faith each month through these free resources. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. An appliance repairman was replacing a gas stove with an identical model that ran on electricity. He made the conversion, but didn't have time to make final adjustments on the new oven 
before having to leave, so he left a note on top of the unit that read, Converted, but not yet adjusted. Converted, but not yet adjusted. That's probably a good description of some Christians, isn't it? They've become a believer in Christ, but haven't yet adjusted to all the ways that following Him is going to impact their life. Maturity only comes when we happily adjust to living in the kingdom of God. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's path to maturity on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.